microphone scarves convo. What do you think it is? And I'll tell you what I, what I know. So here's the thing. And I so hate to have to admit this. I, I don't know a lot about it. All I know is that they were absolutely, for Stephen, it was, you know, you have 10 fingers, 10 toes, two arms, two legs. You got, you got the microphone, you have microphone scarves and they're folded and they're wrapped in a very, very specific way. Was this passed down from like, uh, oh, from roadie to roadie about like, it's, it's this, not this, tight like this, not this? You bet. Holy cow. Is it easy to explain or is it like a magical mystery? Like- you know, shame on me because it's either that, you know, in, in um, you know, that, that the same way that my hair got gray early, my ears got shitty early, right? I, and my brain definitely, I lost a lot of cells in, in my, and if I have a few working cells left, I may actually have known some of the story uh, of really what its origin is and don't remember it, but um I don't remember really, or, or irresponsible enough not to know, you know, they, because it's the stuff of legend. This I know. It's really important to Stephen. It's part of that, of his character and part of that persona. Um, I honored it. I honor it still. <laughs> I mean, I would say that microphone is, is like an, a member of the band almost. Yeah. Like if they didn't use, if they didn't have that microphone, like, are they still Aerosmith? You're listening to part two of a conversation between former Aerosmith manager Keith Gard and Tamara Federici, producer of Every Band Ever, already in progress. That's really great. (laughs) And it's also symbolic, you know, is, you know, there was a time when when the band, they were feuding and Stephen was out, right? It was just before uh, before his stint on American Idol. And they were, Ben was looking for to replace him. And you just titled the chapter in that story. <laughs> if there isn't that microphone, is there still an Aerosmith, right? <laughs> or I'm taking my mic. I'm taking my scarves with me. And going home. He, but yeah, you know, it was also really beautiful. Some of the art, some of the lead singers that um, who were approached. So some of them so beautiful, saying, "I wouldn't even attempt. There is no replacement for Steven Tyler, and they wouldn't do." Yeah, I will. Here's what I can tell you about what I know is that when I started working with them in 71, we started, uh, we would just tie things around objects, like we were wrapping them up. Then in 72, we started tying them on all, all of the band members, and then we were done. And then finally, he found the microphone itself. And then once that was on, hmm. you know, uh, we left it, we even tried right before that, we tried leaving a trail, you know, like leaving a breadcrumb. You know, we left a bunch of scarves up to the stage. Maybe like lots of scarves would be great as a visual. Like you can see where he traveled from. He could put a scarf on and then we get the last scarf and that was on the microphone. But that was too much. You know, then we needed to edit down. Um, the rest of the guys didn't like wearing a scarf. They felt it made them look like um, stewardesses and they didn't, they were not, that's not the vibe they were going for. <laughs> you know, gypsies, yes, stewardesses, Fuck no, <laughs> that's not that's not right. And then they finally settled on that. And then, uh, yeah, Stephen, you know, as you know, I think if that microphone wasn't there, I think if those scarves weren't there, it's like a a centering point. If he if he doesn't have that at the very beginning of a show, uh, he's going to be unfocused. And 
you know, everybody's starting out from behind to just try and uh, get on the same page. Whereas the scarf, everybody in the fan can, everybody in the band can focus on it. And then, you know, they can play. Everyone's at ease. And it's, and, and, you know, it's in, in the name of rock theater, it's, you know, it's more than a prop. It's in, it's, it's, it's part of Steven's persona. I have one quick question about hair bands. And I was wondering if you have a theory about why Aerosmith was able to get, they sidestepped the grunge movement, but all these other hair bands died and they could, they, they were immediately shut out and they could never get back in. But I don't, that might be like my. Multi-generational. Here's the reason. It's because, mm. you know, there are bridges that can hop these things or kind mm. of transcend right through. So you have an incredibly dedicated fan base with children saying, you have to have this, you know, it was a rite of passage. It was really, and for us, I just chalked it up to, this is the stuff of going back to, this is a band beloved by its fans. Yes. Their music so much, the soundtrack of, of their lives. Mm-hmm. And because they really were, you know, I saw, I watched bands um, and I don't, we don't have to name them who, when they got just famous enough, it's enough. They said, fuck our fans. We don't have to have meet and greets. We don't have to do. And they fell out of favor long. They came up long after Aerosmith and disappeared, you know, along the way. Aerosmith's commitment to its relationship with its fan base gave them a multi across generational relevance that allowed them for 50 years to sell lots of records and lots of tickets. And to keep doing it. Ha, gotcha. I had to ask that. I just was really curious. Yeah. On another podcast, you were talking about a 16-year-old, uh, uh, oh, maybe it wasn't a 16-year-old girl. It was a it was a young girl who was inspired by Aerosmith lyrics and said them on Oprah. And I'm dying to know what those lyrics are. Yeah, it wasn't, um, it, was, it was Dream On, it was a song. And one season, they were asking viewers tell them who are their angels and this this little young girl um was sick she had cancer and she was going through cancer treatment and um and she said her angel Stephen tyler and that that go when she would go through treatment she would listen to aerosmith and it would take her out of her pain and take her out of her fear and and so oprah's producers asked us um to if Stephen would come on with that little girl. And by the time they could have both come to the show, she had died. So we went to, to Chicago and Stephen was on the show. And one of the things, you know, there are a lot of stories about how, how tough people can be, how good people can be, right? So we were there and Stephen's sitting there with Oprah and telling the story. And you see the on the screen, this young, beautiful woman spirit who's now gone, saying, you know, Stephen was her angel, and, and why? And Oprah's crying, and Stephen's crying, and all the people in the audience are crying. And I look over, and, like, the camera guys who are, like, union camera guys, like, and they're crying, and I'm crying. And it was really, really, really very, very powerful and very beautiful. Stephen's also a guy who, you know, every arena before the show, the promoter rep, Stephen would grab the promoter rep and make sure that they showed him where the kids who would be in wheelchair chairs were 
were going to be positioned to make sure there was nothing obstructing their view. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to know this story, and I will, I will tell you where I was honestly in hearing this story was that I was wondering, like, what in the world, what in the world are these lyrics? Because if it's like the rabbit done died, what is, what is, what could these things be that she was bonding with as a young girl? And it makes sense when you say dream on, I'm like, oh, I get it. But it was like, does she, does she like the, the, like, it was like, does she like the, um, you know, like the lewd and the, you know, what could it possibly be? No, you know, and it wasn't even lyric specific. It was their music. Oh, okay. It was just the song as a whole. And the song is a, you know, and, and, and so, you know, the, the, you know, premiere song, Dream On, also, you know, uh, Sweet Emotion. And no, Sweet Emotion, Rabbit Dead Night. Look, Stephen's lyrics and their whole other... You understand where my brain is going on this. Oh, yeah, like... yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Um, isn't it interesting? I mean, I love that you bring this up because it just, it, it just like woke me up to, to like another perspective, <laughs> which is killer. So thank you for that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but you, you hear that bass line in Sweet Emotion, you know, one of the most played songs, you know, in, in, um, in, in recurrent radio when, when terrestrial radio still mattered. Um, it's beautiful. It was the, the thing that sparked the creation of then what became that song. We worked a long time on that and he got it right, I feel like. I, uh, I also think those guys are masters of creating tension when they have a lead up to a song, it actually is like, they find a way to really, it could be just, you're not, it's not a life or death song, but it is a thing where you get to, you finally get to the song and you're so amped up. And I feel like they have a special way of being able to, gosh, put you in a, put you in an emotional place before you even hear the lyrics. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, there's also look a lot of great production along the way. Um, And also, you know, listen, I, I mean, for me, one of the conflicts I always had with myself and how good I was or not good I was is I'm working with a band with my background, street kid, albeit yes, but with a, and that, that environmental background in the arts. Also, mm-hmm. um, you know, an Ivy League graduate, I, you know, I, I, you know, wanted my client to be acknowledged, recognized and respected by the New York Times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I would look at Stephen and I would think, why aren't you standing before the General Assembly of the United Nations like Bono and talking about, you know, a reduction or an elimination of third world debt? And it's just not who they were, right? It's just not who right. they were. And so, you know, sure, I had friends who would call me and they'd say, hey, dude, I just saw your band on stage. Stephen Tyler dresses like the French whore. Are you responsible for that? So, so I would think to myself, and I, and at first, because you know I have self-esteem issues, right? So I thought, oh no, you know, well, oh fuck, you know. And then, and then, you know, it took a few minutes, and I would say, hey, you know what? You go sell out arena after arena, year after year, and sell more albums than almost anybody else in the face of the earth. And then you tell me about wardrobe. So go fuck yourself. Yeah, that's pretty. They're so huge. They're such a huge band. I don't know. It's really. <laughs> they, aren't they like the the you know, fifth most money-making band. And I, I mean, I don't really follow the, I don't really follow the, the money on this, but they're huge. 
at one point they were the highest paid. They were the biggest earners. They, um, when they made their deal back with, with to go back to Columbia, back to Sony, um, at the time it was the biggest ba- um, signing for a band. Um, Michael Jackson was individual artists were bigger um, in their signings, but for a band at the time, um, you know, pretty remarkable. And um, you know, again, there's hey, no accounting for taste, right? So like, <laughs> following big audience, but that, but that's that's part of it. Well, I'm sure you're a huge reason for their longevity. You know, what, Tamara, and this is something you know better than most people on the face of the planet. Nothing like a hit song to make everybody around it look smart, and they made me look smart. <laughs> Keith Gard co-managed Aerosmith from the late '80s through 1995 and continues to consult for the group today. He has over 30 years of experience in recording-slash-touring artist management and founded PK Management. His new CBD coffee line is rockincoffee.net. Tamara Federici is nestled by the chimney with care. The producer and editor is Will Velasquez. The audio engineer is Clark Jackson. Executive producers are Carl W. Adams and Tamara Federici. Sweet emotion, sweet emotion, you talk about things that nobody cares, wearing out things that nobody wears, you're calling my name, but I gotta make clear I can't say, baby, where I'll be in a year. Follow at every band ever on Instagram.